Today is the February 20th, 2022 meeting of Hope Bible Church. Bob Hunt from Zion's Hope will be preaching on 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you would like to support our sermon audio ministry, please click the Give button on our sermon audio homepage. Thank you. A reading is from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, the entire chapter. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged and the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecution and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to give relief to you who are afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. For our testimony too was believed. To this end also we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word that you give us. Indeed, we are so blessed to be your children, and then, God, that you've given us your word so that we can know about you and know you and love you and, and do the things that you want us to do and understand what's going on in our world today. Thank you, Father, again, that you love us so much, that you've called us to be your children, your family, and, and we do want you to enlighten our hearts and minds. We all, I believe, are aware as we look out at the world today that things are extremely difficult and a lot of corruption and evil, we see that, but thank you for your word that we can be ones who walk in the light, can be children of the light, Lord. Also, you give us your truth about what's taking place in these end times. Valuable truth, not just nice truth to sort of know about, but imperative for us to understand as we realize that it won't be long before you, Lord Jesus, return from heaven to come down and rapture the church and then pour out your wrath upon this earth. Indeed, these are difficult days, but exciting days to be alive. And I am so thankful, Lord, that you've chosen me and all of us here in this room and those listening on to be alive at this time to be your servants, to be your spokesmen, to be ones who love you and carry out the work that you want us to do, to be ones who are making disciples of all the nations. Thank you again, Father, for this blessing, this privilege. We do praise you. We do bless you. We love you. We thank you again for, for this time now today. Bless the time with Bob here. Speak through him for your purposes and glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This time I'd like to welcome Bob Hunt. He is from over in the Lando area. He was here last year, I know, and uh, we've blessed to have him here. And um, he works for Zion's Hope, and he ministers over there. He's a pastor teacher of a church as well, and he's one who understands what God is doing in these days, and we want him to be here to 
Help us understand more what his word says as to what we should know from the Lord and as then how we should live. So with that, I'd like to have Bob, you come on up this time. Thank you. Well, good morning. I want to thank you for having us here today. Again, like Steve said, uh, my name is Bob Hunt. And also I'm here with my wife Dawn here up to my right, sitting all by herself. And um, just want to again thank you. We're going to take a look this morning at um, 2 Thessalonians, but as Steve said, I am a pastor, a teacher for Zion's Hope. I am also the director of finance, a small organization like Zion's Hope. We all wear multiple hats as we do different uh, things. Uh, In light of I wanted to mention, and you probably already know, that Marv Rosenthal passed away in January, January 8th, and uh, we're going to miss him dearly. Uh, It did not catch too many of us by surprise at Zion's Hope because we could see some things occurring, uh, but it's still a very sad thing. And um, but David Rosenthal, his son, who has been very much involved in running as director of operations for several years now, has picked up the reins very nicely, and he is continuing the ministry in the same direction as his father has, and expanding even. Um, David has recently picked up more missionaries in Israel, and he's even looking at more, developing more programs, so uh, he's quite busy, and so uh, if you need something more to pray about, That would be one thing that he can control his schedule, especially with uh, three teenagers. Uh, And you know what that's like if you have children or have had children. Okay, now I want to bring our attention. My title slide is, When is the Day of the Lord? And uh, that's a very good question, and we all want the answer to that one. And I think Paul gives us some insight into, into that. Uh, in this letter, and this second letter of Thessalonians was written, you know, probably very hurriedly from Corinth. Uh, He had Timothy kind of acted as a courier between Thessalonian, the Thessalonians, and the Corinthians, and Paul mentions that in his letter, but he says he wants to address their eschatology, because their eschatology is wrong. And it concerns the coming, second coming of Christ. It concerns the rapture. It concerns the, what they call the day of the Lord. And the Thessalonican church is very upset. It says they're shaken in their faith. False teachers have come in and have told them basically lies. It doesn't say exactly what they told them, but we can kind of glean that they probably said something like, You missed the coming of Christ. You missed the rapture, and therefore, you are going to experience the day of the Lord. And you would know probably what that would do to your faith. It would shake you up. Now, Paul turns around and writes this letter, most think rather hurriedly, to address this, what he considered to be a very serious situation. Because no person of faith wants to go through the day of the Lord. 
And I remember the first time I preached on the day of the Lord, I asked the question, is the day of the Lord a good thing or a bad thing? Overwhelmingly, they said it was a good thing. To my shock and dismay, it just told me how much that church did not understand what the day of the Lord. It is not. It's a day of wrath. It's a God's day of judgment upon unbelief, upon those who are perishing and going to eternal destruction. Uh, It will not be a good period of time, and it will be more than a day. It will be a period of time we don't know. Probably, I would estimate, a year and a half, perhaps. It won't take that long. Now, we don't want to go through that day, nor will we. In the first letter of Thessalonians, Paul said we are not appointed to wrath. We are not, the word appointed means we are not placed in the wrath, so we won't go through it. Okay, when is it? When do we leave? You guys all ready now? I hope so. You should be ready now, and so uh, be prepared, and so let's kind of begin our journey into this, and I'll read, but I also have it up on the screen. There you go. Now, brethren, speaking to the church, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be soon shaken. Do you see how they felt? Not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Now, the day of Christ is another term, day of the Lord has come. Don't be so shaken. But I want you to notice what I've highlighted up here. The coming. What's the coming? That's when Jesus Christ returns. And they're looking forward to that. What's the gathering? Gathering means to bring people together. Well, we should understand what that is in light of the coming of Christ. That's, we call that the rapture. We call that the rapture. So, and then at the end, the day of Christ, day of the Lord. But I want you to notice that in, this, in these two sentences that Paul has joined the coming and the gathering and the day of the Lord together. And rightly so. They are connected. And so uh, and most expositors and teachers will go there. But that doesn't tell us the when. But it's important that there won't be a coming over here and then a gathering over here. It says the coming and the gathering. And I'd like you to, you could go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You'll see the same link. The rapture, the caught up, connected to the coming of Christ. They are one event that initiates and starts the day of the Lord. In other words... God's going to come, and he's going to take us out of here, and then begin the process of his wrath on unbelieving earth at that time. And and we need to understand um, how that works. Now, I put up here, I kind of hesitated when I put these charts together because I didn't want to overwhelm you. But I do want you to notice that there are really two different views on what we call Daniel's 70th week. The 70th week is a seven-year period of time 
that God will deal mostly with the Jewish nation, but also the Gentiles and unbelievers. I have two charts up there, one on the top I've labeled the pre-tribulation, and underneath that the pre-wrath. The pre-tribulation is the majority view in our world today, probably in our country for sure, has been promoted for a long time. The pre-wrath is younger, and it's one that Marv Rosenthal himself played a major part in in, in promoting the pre-wrath. He wrote the pre-rapture of the church, the book that caused quite a stir, at least in his life. But I do want you to see the components that are in there. The, where I wrote in green and the Gentiles, that's short for the time of the Gentiles, which is a time when we're in now. So if you're looking for where are we, well, we're in the green portion of time. But then you'll see in the pre-tribulation view in the black, they would consider the seven years and they would call it the tribulation. You've probably heard that before. That's not a biblical term. You won't find seven years labeled the seven-year tribulation anywhere in the Bible, but it's something they've labeled. And then we have followed in the blue a thousand. That's the millennial period to follow. That's when Christ will set up his kingdom. In the pre-tribulation view, we have the day of the Lord as a taking up the entire seven-year period. So for those who are pre-tribulation, pre-tribulationists, or pre-tribbers for short, uh, that would be their position. Where is the coming and the gathering? And we would have to put that. I would hit the next slide. And I think we're frozen. Okay. Well... What would happen is the coming would be in between the Gentiles and the seven-year tribulation period, okay? So between the green and the black, the coming. This is a popular view. We've seen it in the uh, movies and the books. It's a time when people get raptured before the seven-year period comes. There we go with the gold arrow. Thank you. And notice it does satisfy the first two verses, which say the coming and the gathering are joined to the day of the Lord. So that, in fact, does work, right? So the coming and gathering does work. Now, there is, if you can go next, there's a second arrow there. Because what a pre-tribulationist will tell you is the first coming comes when God comes and pulls out the saints, the believers, gathers his people in a rapture, the day of the Lord starts, but it's a secret coming. Secret, meaning nobody knows, and you've seen the movies, just there's the clothes on the ground, where they go, it's a big mystery, Uh, and then they will say there's a bigger, more significant, visible coming just before the 1,000 years. Uh, As somebody studying the Bible, you should say, are there two comings in the Bible? Is there a secret coming to start the whole period and then a more visible one at the end? And the answer should be no. The Bible speaks only of one coming. And this becomes a problem 
for someone believing in the pre-tribulation viewpoint. I want to turn my attention now to the bottom of the pre-wrath and we'll have next. But it also has a different three-year, uh, seven-year period. It has broken up the seven years into three and a half years to begin, then a period called the Great Tribulation after the midpoint, and then the DOL is short for a day of the Lord, which is a shorter period. I believe this is the more biblical view of the uh, chronology of the end times. They would say the whole thing is the seven years is the day of the Lord. I would say no. The three and a half years and the great tribulation, there will be problems, but they won't be the Lord's wrath. It'll be the Antichrist wrath, his um, wrath on mankind. We would probably put in the three and a half years there in the purple, we would put probably the seal judgments where the four horsemen are released, where probably during that period is the fifth seal, where the martyrs are seen under the altar crying out, How long, O Lord? And then we have the midpoint, which we'll talk about that shortly. Then the great tribulation is where the Antichrist displays his wrath on mankind. And then the day of the Lord will begin for someone in the pre-wrath position. Their camp will start there, and you'll notice the yellow. That's where a pre-wrath person says the coming and the gathering and the day of the Lord start there. So then the question is, which position is right? Is it the majority view that you see on the top? Or is it the minority view that you see on the bottom? When do we leave is the big question. And this question has great uh, biblical meaning to anyone here in this room, too, and especially people alive during this period. Paul does address these concerns in this, in this letter. And he talks about... I'm going to read to you from verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means that the day will not come, meaning the day of the Lord, unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. The day of the Lord will not come until two events occur. And this is critical to understand. The falling away, I've labeled it up there in the brown, apostasia, because that's the Greek word. It's the apostasia. The second one is the man of sin needs to be revealed prior to the period of the day of the Lord. And so for that to be true and work into a pre-tribulation view, it would have to occur right in that position. So what is what is the falling away? I seem to have lost my way in my PowerPoint, but that's okay. Um, for the pre-wrath person, we have the apostasy and the man of sin coming there. 
And if we could hit next, okay, the falling away. The falling away is the word apostasia, and it has these various translations in the Bible. New King James uses the word unless the falling away comes first. ESV says unless the rebellion comes first. NASB uses apostasy, and the NRSV uses rebellion. And so you see people have translated this differently depending on your Bible. Now, I will tell you that the, the definition of this word means to apostatize or forsake. Its root word comes from the word to separate or to divorce oneself from something. It's only used one other place in the Bible, and if we could go there, it's going to be in Acts 21.21, the only other place we see apostasia. And they informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. So we see how they're using the word here in the only other place. It's to leave, it's to abandon, it's to forsake, it's to fall away from. And that appears to be the main definition. So it's not a rebellion, so to speak, it's a falling away. It's a falling away from something, to forsake something. Now, if we could hit the next screen. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, the day of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away. Now, hope it was up there quick enough. Notice I have highlighted the word the. Sometimes the little words are very important, and it's the word ho in Greek. It's the falling away, which means it's significant. It's an event that nobody would miss. It's an event that you can point to and see. It's not something that there's a gradual falling away. It's something that the Thessalonians would notice. They will know that there's going to be some sort of great falling away. What could that be? When would that be? Well, we know that it's coming before the day of the Lord or connected to the coming and the gathering of believers, that there'll be a great falling away. I had to think of the effect of COVID on our churches. Was there a falling away? Perhaps. I think COVID was more of a precursor to what's going to happen. I believe what's going to happen is there will be a persecution so severe, so intense, that it will force false believers, false professors out of the church in an event so worldwide that in the history books, if they were written, would say there's the falling away. This is when the churches will be cleaned of the false belief. It won't be safe to be say, I go to Hope Bible Church. Because if you know what the Antichrist will be up to and what he's doing, he will be coming after you, persecuting you, overcoming you, killing people in chapter 13 of Revelation. There will be a great 
falling away from the church at that time. And so we need to know, before the rapture, before the coming of Christ to get a, take us out of here, before the day of the Lord, there will be a worldwide event so significant that the churches will be abandoning and perhaps even closing the doors in many places because there won't be anybody left. That's important to know. Has that happened yet? Not yet. Many churches are opening. Yes, many are struggling because of COVID still, but there hasn't been an event that we can point to. So this has not happened. And so Paul is making sure this church in Thessalonica knows that. Okay, if we can go to the next. I want you to see the man of sin. Man of, this is Paul's term for the Antichrist. Some Bibles say he's the man of lawlessness. It's the second event in that list. So the falling away is first, big event. And the man of sin, the man of lawlessness, is revealed. And I inserted the words made known. Made known. So what is he saying? He's saying that the Antichrist will become known. We will know him. When? Prior to our coming and our gathering to the Lord, prior to the day of the Lord, there won't be any question from a Christian's point of view that this man, who is probably alive today, is the Antichrist. And Christians will know. And so that's a very significant point in and of itself. Well, how, what would we know about this man? How will we recognize him? You know, because people always are speculating here and there, and even today they're saying this person's it, this person could be it. I'm not sure we've really identified him yet, but there are three things that we can point out in this passage. The first one is he will be lawless, man of sin. Do you see that title that Paul has given to him? A man of sin, the word does mean iniquity, uh, it does mean wickedness. So one of the characteristics of the Antichrist, he'll be very wicked. He'll be very evil. He will be very lawless. He'll have no regard for the law. And you're thinking, well, I've narrowed my list down to 100 people so far, right? <laughs> Looking at people in charge, remember the Antichrist is going to be some worldwide figure that's going to be able to influence the world in a severe way. So you're thinking, hmm, maybe up in this country, maybe that country. So you, your mind is worrying. But remember, it will be revealed, made known. But what's the, another item we see about this Antichrist figure? And if I could have next. 2 Thessalonians verse 4 gives us some more insight into the man of sin. Look what it says. Who opposes and exalts himself... Above all, that he is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Did you hear that? He sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, I don't have not heard that yet from anybody Yes, I've heard wicked leaders and wicked people, but I haven't heard anybody that's had the audacity 
to say that he is God himself, this will be a big sign for anybody. So if you hear anybody, let me know. But don't miss the word temple in there. And I put it up there as a question mark. How's he going to sit in a temple? There is no temple, right? Yet, I heard that. There will be. And there are plans in Jerusalem to build one. They already have them all ready to go. Where do they want to put it? They want to put it on the Temple Mount. You say, well, that's not going to happen because the Muslims, the Islamic people, they won't let that happen. Do you know who controls the Temple Mount? King of Jordan. The King of Jordan, he controls it right now because of all the division over the Mount. But just know that there are, there are plans. They're not as magnificent as Solomon's Temple, of course but it's a scaled-down version uh, right there. They even have like a, a model of what it's going to be. If you look at the Temple Mount, you will see that the um, Dome of the Rock does not cover the entire mountain. There is room there to put a temple, a smaller temple, and I would suggest that that's where it's going to be, that there will be a day coming when you will see a modified small temple sitting on Mount Moriah there right next to the Islamic uh, mosque. These will be big signs to us. Know that the time is soon. But what I want you to see as we look for the man of sin, we look for this Antichrist figure, is that first of all that he's lawless and wicked and evil Second of all, that he will have the audacity to say that he is God. These are two markers we won't miss. If I could have next. Christ tells us in Matthew 24, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, when you see it, when you see this figure spoken by Daniel standing in the holy place, again, where's the holy place? In the temple. He will be standing there proclaiming himself that he is God. So this is the same person that Christ is talking about in Matthew. Next, we go now to Daniel chapter 27 and second part of that verse I want to highlight. We'll talk about the first in a minute. Then he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. In Daniel's time frame, one week is meant to be how many years? Seven years, very good, you've been teaching them well. Seven years. Then in the middle of the week, which is how long? Three and a half years, we're great at math so far. But in the middle of the week, he will bring an end to sacrifice and offering. Well, doesn't that tie into sitting in the temple saying he's God? Just walk right over from the mosque, go into the temple, desecrate it, just like what happened with Antiochus Epiphanes uh, back in the, the 160s B.C., we have that example, and he will put an end to any kind of sacrifice worship that the Jews will have, and then all the Jewish people will be fleeing. That will be the moment when you see that happen, when you see this person, this man, put an end to sacrifice, calling himself God, and he fits the figure of a lawless evil, then you will know, because then... The Antichrist, the man of sin, will be revealed. He will be made known. Christians will know worldwide who he is. 
And this will all precede the coming and the gathering and before the day of the Lord occurs. There is another thing we can see about this man of sin that we won't miss, and if I could have next. It's in verse 9 and 10, and I want to focus here. The coming of the lawless one, the revealing of the lawless one. He will come by the working of Satan. He will be satanically empowered, and I believe that he will be uh, empowered. He will be uh, possessed, very similar to the way Judas was, and that he will be driven doing the things that Satan wants him to do. Now, don't miss what's highlighted. With all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception, all unrighteous deception, Think about what that says. This man, human being, will be able to do things that are unimaginable. Will they be miraculous? Many will think so. Will they be wonders? Absolutely. Will they be powerful? We know they will be. God will allow Satan to do things that he has not allowed before. If you go to Job, we can see a few of those things. Did God allow Satan to control the wind? Yes. Did God allow, will God allow Satan to throw fire down from heaven? Revelation says yes. There will be some amazing signs, and this is what's going to draw unbelievers to him when they see it. For Christians, we should have a different reaction. If we see a man calling fire down from heaven, we will know one more sign that we are now witnessing and being revealed and being made known, the Antichrist. And so there are some very significant events. And if I could have next, I'm going to look at Revelation here, a couple of verses talking about the Antichrist because it's connecting to Paul's man of sin. And he was given authority to continue for 42 months. The Antichrist was given authority for 42 months. How many years is that? Three and a half. Now, I'm going to bring you to the chart in a minute. That's the last half of the seven-year period. This is the period of time that the Antichrist will wreak havoc on planet Earth. It'll be a time when he is revealed and made himself known. Second one is, it was granted to him to make war with the saints, that would be Christians, and to overcome them. That's a demonstration of his power. I'm not sure how pre-tribbers or pre-tribulationists get around this one, because it says that he'll make war with them and overcome them. Overcome them means kill them. And it says that in the middle of chapter 13 of that. So, Christians will be killed. You've got to wonder, well, pre-tribulation, they will be out of here. Well, who's going to be here to be killed? And so it does give some issue to that whole thing. Now let's go to next, and I'm going <clears> to <throat> go back to my chart here to kind of bring it all together. And you'll see here the different elements. And if under the pre-tribulation view of the top chart there. 
If there's a falling away there, if the man of sin is revealed there, how does he rule for 42 months? The answer is, it doesn't, it doesn't work. It does, it's not right. It, it doesn't. So what, what do they say? They say, well, the falling away is kind of gradual. Is that what we just learned? No. They will say the man of sin is not the Antichrist. It's just another man of sin who is very evil. Oh, wait a minute. How many men are there that are wicked, sit in a temple and call themselves God, be able to do miraculous things out of the sky, or control the wind, or do satanically empowered? I mean, you're telling me there's more than that? No. The description that Paul gives of this man of sin is identical to the description of the Antichrist we see throughout the Bible. And that specifically points us to chapter 13, where it talks about the beast. And so it has to be. Well, when was the revealing? We talked about that. 42 months left. It's at the midpoint. It can't be at the beginning of the seven years. It has to be in the middle. Okay, why is all this significant to the timing of the day of the Lord? Because the day of the Lord, the coming and the gathering are going to happen after the apostasy and the man of sin reveals himself. And so it can't be at the beginning of the period. It has to be in the middle. And so the pre-wrath theory based on 2 Thessalonians most preachers who believe in pre-trib kind of skip Second Thessalonians. My wife and I have witnessed that in person. It gets frustrating. We even heard um, Tim LaHaye, I'll say it, we w- listened in person and watched him give his pre-tribulation view and skip Second Thessalonians. Why? Because there's no way around it. The apostasy of the falling away. The man of Christ, the Antichrist, have to come. They have to come before the day of the Lord, and that becomes a major stumbling block. Well, maybe this is just an in-house issue, and it's not all that important, right? Wrong. Wrong, because I think, if we can see the next slide... I'll give you a couple things to think about next. I think this is important because if people will think, if you're waiting for Christ's coming, yet you see the Antichrist first, you may begin to wonder, just like the Thessalonican church, about your faith and what you've been taught. You might start to think, well, if they've been wrong on eschatology, then perhaps they're wrong on soteriology, meaning salvation. This would create quite an uproar. This is why it's so important. This is not a minor in-house issue. This is one that many churches will be shaken. Many. And this, this would, why Paul wrote this whole letter was so that this wouldn't happen to their church. This is important so that the church will be prepared for all of this to happen. 
Now, I know for some of you this may come as a shock, but it also means that Christ cannot come at any moment. You've heard that, right? Christ could come any moment. Well, could he? If he did, he would be violating 2 Thessalonians, his own word. Because we know that the Antichrist has not been revealed. We know that he has not sat in the temple. We know that the great falling away has not happened. So if Christ came right now, then he would be in contradiction to his word. Drives me crazy when people say, and it's, I, I, I know they mean the right thing. They're looking for Christ to come. They, oh, Christ could come any moment. Wrong. He can't. Can he come soon? Yes, and that's the term the Bible will use. He's coming soon, very soon. But we will have certain markers that we will know that the church can get prepared for and that we can, we can look forward to the, not the Antichrist, but the coming of Christ. We know it's near. We know that we'll be raptured out of here prior to the day of the Lord. <clears throat> I knew I would run into a problem with time. But I'll give it my best shot as we look at this. I want to go now to the restrainer. The restrainer is perhaps the third item that will happen before the day of the Lord occurs. By that I mean the restrainer will be lifted. The restrainer will be lifted. And a lot of expositors don't bother with this one. I don't know how many commentators I read and they said, nobody knows who the restrainer is, so we're going to just skip even speculating. I said, well, that's good research. But if we could, yeah, we're here, sort of. In verse 6, it talks about the restrainer. And now you know what is restraining. I feel like telling Paul, no, I don't. You know, but he has already spoken all of these things to the church in Thessalonica. So he leaves details out that would be very helpful to us. But he says, and now you know it is restraining. And restraining, we know, is to hold back. That he may be revealed in his own time. That means the Antichrist may be revealed. So something's holding the Antichrist back until the right time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Well, that's the lawless one is creating lawlessness. And we know who's behind the lawless one, right? The man of, or the supernatural being called Satan and the devil. It's already at work. We know that. We see it in our country today. Only he who now restrains, so whoever's been restraining was doing it in 51 AD, because that's about when Thessalonians written. Is he still restraining today? Yes, absolutely. He won't stop restraining until he's been lifted out of the way. That won't happen until it's God's timing to reveal the man of sin. Well, that's almost 2,000 years of restraining. Could that be a human being? Could that be anything human? No. So it's telling us that the restrainer has to be some sort of supernatural being or, or event or something. But he who now restrains will do so until he's taken out of the way. And then, so here's a, here's a third item. And then the lawless one, the Antichrist, will be revealed. And if we could move then through a couple of screens here. 
Uh, I need to pick it up. Let's go to the chart on the next one. Here we go. So we see here that the man of sin, the restraint, when's he lifted? It's not going to be as the pre-trib think up there in the beginning of the seven-year tribulation. It's going to be in the middle. And so, because the man of lawlessness will be revealed. When this man of lawlessness is revealed, I like to use the word, or maybe not, there will be hell on earth. There will be hell on earth. All evil will come out like you have never seen before. Many people say, this world can't get any worse. Yes, it can. When the restrainer is lifting, there's, there's something behind restraining evil in a supernatural way. And when God lifts that out of the way, when that restrainer is taken out of the way, you're going to see much, much evil. Now, I want you to see we're in the white there on the left, Daniel 9.27. We're going to go that in a minute. Well, let's go there now, if I could have the next screen. Daniel 9.27 says, Then he shall confirm a covenant. This is the Antichrist. Confirm a covenant with many for one week. A one-week covenant. What is that covenant? He doesn't tell us exactly. We have some, uh, some, some thoughts on that. Can we go back one screen to the chart again? That covenant is going to begin right there, right after the time of the Gentiles. Both pre-trib and pre-wrath both agree to that. But what is this covenant? This covenant is very likely some sort of peace agreement. Peace agreement. Now, if it's a peace agreement, and under the pre-trib point of view, the restrainer is let loose and all hell breaks out on earth, does that make sense? That those two events would be happening at the same time? No. You can't have complete lawlessness and a peace at the same time. So again, it makes the pre-trib position very hard to hold on to. Now what is this peace agreement going to look like? We may be seeing some of that today. If you are paying attention to Israel, especially during the time period of President Trump, you remember the Abraham Accords, that name rings a bell, where there was a peace agreement between Israel, the United States, UAE. Bahrain has now joined into that peace agreement. Other nations are starting to look at that peace agreement. As a matter of fact, even right now, Turkey is looking at peace agreements with um, Israel. Could it be that we are looking at the covenant that is being spoken of by Daniel? So when you hear of somebody wanting peace with Israel and all of these Muslim countries, pay attention because you may see the one that's going to play a major role because once it gets confirmed by the Antichrist, the clock will tick. Now this peace agreement will already be in place because the word confirm does not mean create. The Antichrist will not create or make the, uh, the agreement, the covenant. He will confirm it, which means he will affirm it. He will sign on to it. And so we will see a man 
who is as God, who is lawless, who is supernatural in wonders and in things that he can do, and he will sign on to this agreement in a mock peace agreement because we will know that this person has no intentions of this peace arrangement. He will use it to his own, uh, to his own use and ends. Another thing you might pay attention to in our world today is the Abrahamic family house. I'm not sure if you've heard of that. It was started a year and a half ago, year 2020, and the construction is supposed to be completed by June of this year. This Abrahamic family house is where it's in UAE again where three major religions, that would be Catholics, Judaism, and Islam, they are building on one piece of property three different buildings to be in unity with one another in the effort to have humanity united as one. Over in the UAE, they have decided all our religions are equal, and we can live as one human being. That's pretty scary. Catholics, Jews, and Islam. I want you to note the two Jews and Islam. Deciding religiously to live side by side in their own faiths, in peace, on the same piece of property. I have said and did say, is it too far of a stretch to think that if this is successful, that they would do the same thing on the Temple Mount? I would say no. This also is a precursor to what could happen on the Temple Mount and could begin Daniel's confirming of the covenant because I believe this peace treaty is going to be more than just world peace, meaning we have more than just not war, but we have peace between the Jewish people and the Islamic people of faith and that they will join. The setup will be so that there will be an opportunity for the Antichrist to do his evil. He will sign on to this to do his own evil. Now, I'm going to stop with the slides, I think, and just close out by talking about the restrainer. The restrainer, a lot of people say, is the church, especially those of the pre-trib faith or following or teaching. Um, that's just not true. The church is just not strong enough to do that. Um, it will be weak. And, you know, the church back in Thessalonica was tiny. Could it have that kind of power to, I said it's supernatural. We say, well, God's behind it. True, God's behind it, but people are behind it too. But one of the bigger issues is the word church is ecclesia. It's feminine. It's feminine. The restrainer is masculine. 
masculine. So it cannot be the church. It cannot be the gospel. It cannot be Christians binding Satan. I won't even go down that road. I don't think Christians have the ability to bind somebody as powerful as Satan. So it can't be the government. Government's weak. It's sinful. If anything, it's going to turn even more sinful. Some think maybe it's the Archangel Michael. Archangel Michael. And this is a pretty good one. Michael is the Archangel. If you go to Daniel chapter 12, you'll see somewhere Daniel all of a sudden in the latter days stands up, meaning he arises. Some take that to mean he is taken out of the way. He is taken out of the way. And there is some validity to that. But the one thing about Michael is it says he is for your people. It's Jewish. It's for Israel. Michael watches over the Jewish people, and he always has. So where's Michael's worldwide impact of restraining evil? Because the Antichrist will be worldwide. So although Michael may have Israeli power over the, over the Jewish and protecting them, uh, I don't think that he is the one that's intended as the restrainer. If you look again concerning the uh, restrainer, you will see that he is called a what and a he. A what and a he. Let me look to that for you now. Verse um, 6. And now you know what is restraining. That what is neuter. Neuter. And that he may be revealed, meaning Antichrist, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains. That's masculine. It's confused a lot of people. How can the restrainer be both neuter and masculine at the same time? Certainly Michael cannot, right? He's an archangel. He's a he. Very clearly, Michael is masculine. So what's it mean, what? What? Well, I want to just kind of scoot over as we get ready to close on this one. And I want you to see, and, and I believe that the restrainer is the Holy Spirit. And I know our pre-trip friends will say, well, the Holy Spirit's been lifted out of the world, to which I say God is omnipresent. He cannot be lifted out of the world. But let me ask you this. Can the Holy Spirit stop doing something? Can he stop restraining the world? And I think the answer, obviously, is yes, he can. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. And so if he stops restraining, he can, he can make that choice. But I want to take a look at verse chapter 14 of John, verse 26. You can write it down. Let me read to you what it says here about the Holy Spirit. But the helper, but the helper, and helper is masculine, helper is masculine, the help of the Holy Spirit, you know what this word spirit is? Neuter. Neuter. So wait a minute, the Holy Spirit then is both masculine and referred in the neuter. You see that in both John 14, verse 26. You also see it in John 15, verse 26 also. 
So in two different verses, we see the Holy Spirit referred to as both neuter and masculine. Well, now that makes sense of 2 Thessalonians, where he's called both neuter and masculine. So although I like Michael in some sense because it's Jewish-oriented, I think the Holy Spirit, in my opinion, makes much more sense in the worldwide view. Now, let me just kind of recap and conclude here. First of all, the timing of the day of the Lord. It's not coming until the Antichrist is made known, and we will know it as Christians. Unbelievers won't. Their eyes will be closed, they'll be blinded. Just look at how 2 Thessalonians ends. I'll let you read that on your own. They'll be blinded. They'll have no idea what what's going on. They'll follow this Antichrist to the ends of the world and even into hell, unfortunately. But for Christians, we should know this is coming. He will be revealed. The restraint will be lifted out. We'll be able to see this world just go right downhill, full-blown evil everywhere. It'll be so obvious. We'll look at people falling away and abandoning in an event that will be so visible and of great magnitude we won't miss it. When we see all of these things happening, we know that the coming and the gathering of the saints is near and the day of the Lord is near and be prepared for that to happen. This is why we need to tell our brothers and sisters who hold on to the pre-trib view, and there are a lot, at a conversation with a pastor out in California, worship pastor, 15 years. He went up and talked to his pastor, and he said, Pastor, I, I, I think I like this pre-wrath view. Pastor said, no, I'll have none of that in my church. You are now relieved of your duties as worship pastor. Go sit in the pew. You can't do anything else. I thought that was pretty harsh. But that's the attitude that some people have. They don't want to hear it. I think someday there'll be an accountability to have because if the churches don't know it, if they have never heard of pre-wrath, then they won't be prepared for the coming of the day of the Lord. It'll come upon them, their faith will be shaken and even maybe questioned by themselves. We need to tell them. It doesn't matter whether they believe it, but that they know about it. Because if they know about it, when it happens, they'll say, oh yeah, I remember my friend told me about that. They were right. But if nobody ever tells them, they may question their faith. So we need to tell the churches and prepare the churches for this. Matthew 24, 24 says the deceiver will come and almost deceive the elect. That's how great the powers will be that we will see from, from these forces. Lastly, we need discernment as a church. We need discernment as a church. Um, one of my <coughs> favorite passages comes from Hebrews, and it comes from chapter 5. Right at the end of chapter 5, let me read 12 through 14, my closing passage. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. They're getting a real tongue lashing, aren't they? But solid food, this means the deep things, the, the, even the hard things of Scripture. 
Solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised, and now here's the purpose, to discern both good and evil. So important is these scriptures and the teachings that we need to to learn and sink our teeth into the stronger and even harder sometimes things of God's word. Sadly, many churches today are just being fed milk. Milk. They're given the fluff. They're being taught evangelism over and I've seen some churches where that's all they preach. And that's good. I mean, we need to be evangelizing non-believers, but believers need to be fed the intricacies, the deep things of Scripture, the solid food, so that we will be able to discern both good and evil. And I will conclude right there. Let us come to the Lord in prayer as we close. Father God, we thank you for your word. You gave it to us to study, to learn, to saturate our souls with, to meditate on, to think about. And as we reflect on today's passage in 2 Thessalonians, we don't look forward to the Antichrist. We look forward to your coming, to our gathering. We don't look forward to the day of the Lord. We look for the time with the Lord that will be with you. But it's oh so important to know what leads up to that time so that we can be prepared as a body, as a church, so that we can tell others so that we won't be caught by surprise. And you have given us such strong and visible and obvious markers that there's no way we can miss that the time is near. And in the meantime, be with us as we are ambassadors of yours to reach out to this community, to teach, to reach the lost with the gospel of Christ. We dearly do not want any to become part of the crowd that will perish. We thank you, Lord, for this time of worship, and we ask for your blessings and guidance as we go our ways during this week, and we look forward to meeting again, to again worship you as the time draws ever so near. Thank you, Lord, to you be the glory and honor forever. Amen.